Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Tim. What's up, Embassy City family? I love you guys, and I hope you're all doing well to our Vitamin E peeps. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Listen, I have the honor and the privilege of spending time with my family. So we are on vacation for the entire month of July. We have Tim Rivers, a dynamic pastor who is about to literally turn our worlds upside down. Get up on your feet and give a big round of applause. Your speaker for the entire month is Tim Rivers. Welcome to church. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, If this is your first time here, welcome to Embassy City. We're so excited that you've decided to come here out of the 7 billion churches that you could have gone to in the DFW Metroplex. You decided to come here, and we're thankful for that. If you're watching online, our Vitamin E family, welcome, welcome, welcome. So my name is Tim Rivers, and I've been here now for a few weeks, and I am going to be here uh, for the month of July. And can y'all believe that next week is the last week? I'm so sad. Let's extend this series, if y'all, you know what I'm saying? No, but it's been such an honor and privilege to be here, and uh, I love Pastor Tim and Juliet Ross, and I want to say thank you to them, if they're watching, for allowing us to be here. And it takes a lot of trust to allow someone to be here and preach for a month and uh, not preach false doctrine, you know what I'm saying? And especially preaching in the book of Revelation. That's risky. Uh, but it's been so good to be here. And we've been in the book of Revelation. We've been doing this series called Upset the Church. So if you've been paying attention uh, to this series, you probably noticed that there are some very pointed things that we've been talking about. There are some things that are very convicting. And that's a, conviction is not a bad thing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to give you a little context for the relevancy of what we've been talking about. We've been going through the seven letters written to the seven churches in Asia. And any Bible nerds in the building, like self-professed Bible nerds? This is for all the Bible nerds. I'm a Bible nerd. I've given myself to studying the Word of God. I love the Word of God. In fact, I'm finishing my doctorate right now in seminary because I just, I nerd out on this stuff. You know what I mean? People are like, why are you doing that? Because I just love the Bible. But I want to give you a little bit of context because the book of Revelation is a book of revelation. <laughs> but the first chapter opens up with John saying, I was on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day. And then he, he describes Jesus coming to him and giving him revelations about the second coming, Christ's return. This is known as eschatology or the study of last things. So Jesus tells John, I want you to write down a lot of stuff that's going to happen when I return and before I return. Then we go into chapters 2 and 3. In chapters 2 and 3, Jesus addresses the seven churches, and he begins to kind of see where they're at and say, hey, you're doing a great job here, but here's some things I need you to fix. And what Jesus is doing before he gets into the seals and the beasts and the wars and all that stuff that you read in Revelation, essentially what Jesus is telling the churches is, I need y'all to get ready so that you can receive me when I come again. This is why these letters are so relevant to us, because it's like, uh, you know, Janice and I, we may get a phone call and there's a person that's going to come visit us that night. Uh, Or they call us and say, hey, I'm going to be there somewhere between today and tomorrow. 
I just need y'all to be ready. Well, I'm calling Janice and going, hey, is there anything I need to go get at the store? Is the house ready? What do we need to get in, uh, ready in the house so that we can receive our guests? That's what these seven letters are. These seven letters are Christ saying to us, hey, church believers, I need y'all to be ready so when I come, there won't be a shock effect. You can receive me with open arms. So we've been going through it, and if you've been hanging out with us, you know we talked about side chick Jesus, why in hell would you stop? Uh, we talked about counterfeit Christianity. And uh, before we get into today, today's lesson, uh, God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> so if you weren't here last week, you're not going to get this reference, so you need to go back and watch the video. But we talked about Gucci. <laughs> it's all Gucci. <laughs> So I presented this Gucci shirt to y'all, right, that uh, cost me $5.25. And uh, went home, of course, put it in the washer. And Janice sent me a picture this last week after it had been through the washer. And she says, check this out. So I want to show you this picture before we get into today's lesson. This is what it looked like after it's been washed. <laughs> now, some of y'all already know where I'm going with this. But when you're fake... It ain't going to last. When you're counterfeit, when you go through some stuff, it ain't going to. I can start preaching just about this picture. But I just want y'all to know, stay real. And buy the real thing. <laughs> Amen? Y'all ready to go into this week's? Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, the book of Revelation chapter 3. Verse number 1. Here it goes. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Yikes. <laughs> Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. <laughs> so we've already covered four churches. Uh, today we're going to cover two, and then next we're going to cover one. And we're going to turn up next week. So bring your shouting shoes, whatever those shoes are. <laughs> but let's read the second church, and this is going to be verse number seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I could shout right there. I know that you have but little power, but yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And somebody say amen. amen. So today we're going to cover two churches as we did last week. But today, the churches are going to be a little different. Last week, we talked about two churches who were two sides of the same coin. They both were dealing with pressure externally, internally to compromise. And because some of the saints compromised, then they ended up eating meat offered to idols and in sexual immorality. This week, we're going to look at two churches that are complete opposites. The church at Sardis, who Jesus is speaking to, he's telling them, hey, you are professing to be alive. You're telling everybody that you got life in you, but you are dead. This is the same thing that Jesus told the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees thought they were all that in a bag of chips. And Jesus rolled up to them and said, hey, listen, you say you know all of this, and you, you say that you know the law, but you are nothing but white sepulchers. You are a beautiful tomb, and then you're filled with dead men's bones. 
So the message to Sardis is, I need y'all to wake up because if you don't wake up, I will return and it will be as if a thief is coming to you in the night. He addresses the same thing when he talks about the ten virgins, right? He says there's some that are sleeping in the church. They're going to miss the fact that Jesus is coming again. The second church that he addresses, Philadelphia, they're literally the opposite. The only thing he can do with Philadelphia is give an accommodation because Philadelphia is one of two churches, the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia, that Jesus doesn't give a rebuke to. He literally says, hey, you're doing a great job. And because you are staying awake and because you're staying alert and you're doing my work, I will set before you an open door which no man shall shut. Let me just stop here and say this. When God opens the door for you, ain't nobody going to shut it. When God provides an open door in your life, no devil in hell, no person at the job, no crazy family member, no weirdo that's down the street, no, no psyched out church member can stop the open door in your life. You just got to stay awake and believe that God is going to come through. And if you believe that, shout amen. amen. So I want to talk to us about what we should do to prepare for the coming of the Lord. I want to talk about the difference between being asleep and being awake. So the title for today is Sleepy Saints. <laughs> Sleepy Saints. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for drawing us into your house. I pray that in the next few moments that you would begin to give us revelation of your word. Wake us up. Help us to ears to hear. Help us have ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart to receive your word. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And somebody say amen. amen. So I want to address two obsessions in our culture currently. On the one hand, you have hustle culture. If you're a millennial or a Gen Zer, you're familiar with this. If you're not, let me catch you up. Hustle culture is the mindset that there's always more. A bigger house, a fancier car a new relationship, a better promotion, uh, a bigger job. It's the mindset that we grind all the time. We do not stop. We don't settle. <laughs> and I feel like everyone is in hustle cultures like that. <laughs> We're going to keep going. Don't stop. Don't settle. Quit your job if you need to, if you get a better uh, opportunity. And so there's this mindset within a lot of us in this culture that wants to move forward. But here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with work. In fact, when God speaks to Adam and Eve at the very beginning, he says, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Those are progressive terms. God wants us to work. But you need to know the difference between grinding for God or godly grind and hustle culture. Does God want you to work? Yes. But the biggest difference between hustle culture and grinding for Jesus is who are you working for? If you want to know the difference between, like, hustle culture and grinding and, and working hard, just ask the question, who are you working for? It's the difference between ownership and stewardship. I personally don't like to use the word ownership because I view everything that I have and everything that I receive as the Lord's. In fact, the scripture says, everything you do, do as unto the Lord. Remember the example where Jesus calls the three, uh, so he tells the story of the master who calls the three servants and then he gives them talents. Whose talents did they, were they, uh, did they belong to? They were the masters. So when the master comes back, he's wondering, did you steward what I gave you well? So work hard, but don't buy into the idea that 
You're trying to build bigger barns to fill it up with stuff that you want. Because godly grind always includes other people. The second obsession that we're dealing with right now is the obsession of self-care. <laughs> you know, there's people missing miss the church right now because they self-caring. <laughs> and the spa. Hey, if you're at the spa, welcome. <laughs> God can speak to you there as well. <laughs> but the problem with self-care is a lot of people call it self-care, but really it's self-obsession. People wanting vacation and ain't even working. Why are you on a vacation to Bahamas and you've been willfully unemployed for the last year? <laughs> Who's paying for that? <laughs> yes, rest. Yes, take care of yourself. But remember, God set the principle for rest. He worked six days and on the seventh day he rested from all that he had done. And he looks back and says, what I did was good. Don't rest until it's good. And number two, don't rest unless you worked. <laughs> the principle is rest is attached to work. <laughs> Here's the funny thing. Like, people will, will misconstrue the scripture where, you know, Jesus says there are two commands, two great commandments, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. And people are like, well, I can't love my neighbor unless I love myself. <laughs> how am I supposed to take care of my friends if I don't care about uh, what I care about myself? How, how in the world am I supposed to do that for them if I don't do it for me first? <laughs> that was a rhetorical statement that Jesus made. He was saying, love your neighbor because you love yourself. In fact, Paul writes about it. He goes, no man yet ever hated his own body. You ain't got to be taught to take care of yourself. You automatically would take, as anybody, when you're hungry, just been like, you know what? I am not going to feed myself. I would rather die. <laughs> no, nah, we take care of ourselves. But we're in the in-between. As believers, we have to find the balance between working hard, right, and being content or being lazy and complacent. What God is calling us to do is to be awake, is to be alert, is to not fall asleep. And so that's what we're talking about today. And in doing so, I want to take you to a story in Genesis chapter 28. And let's go there. Genesis chapter 28, verse number 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. First of all, let me stop and say this. How tired do you have to be to confuse a stone for a pillow? <laughs> and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What a phenomenal promise from God. This is the same promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac, and now it's given to Jacob. So Jacob, well, check this out, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. My man was sleeping, 
during the promises of God. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. What a phenomenal story. So I want to give you a little bit of context before we get into the meat of this message. Because uh, you have to understand what brought Jacob to this place in the first place. So Jacob is one of uh, two twins. Of course, twins are two, so that's self-explanatory. <laughs> but before he is born, God speaks to Isaac and Rebekah and says, Hey, there is going to come uh, two nations out of Rebekah, and they're going to be at odds with one another. However, I have determined that the older will serve the younger. And so when Jacob and Esau are born, Esau comes out first, and Jacob comes out holding on to the heel of Esau. So since birth, these guys have already been at odds with one another. And so Jacob, which means supplanter, heel grabber, schemer, Jacob is born into the world and he already starts having an identity placed upon him. His mom is telling him, hey, yo, uh, your brother's going to serve you at some point. But his dad loves Esau, so he's in conflict. So Jacob is going about life, but you have to put yourself in Jacob's shoes. Imagine being a young child and everywhere you go, people around are calling you a schemer, a supplanter, uh, uh, a deceiver everywhere you're going until finally at some point you are going to start believing what people place on. That's why you have to be very careful who you're around and what they say to you and what you let in your ears because if you allow negativity to be spoken to you eventually you're going to start believing that about yourself. That's why you got to believe the report of the Lord. Amen? So, so he is listening to all of this. And the scripture then gives us uh, the story where Jacob, uh, he's now up in age. He's being a chef. He's cooking. He's close to the camp. His brother Esau is out hunting. And he doesn't get anything. So Esau is coming back from being away for days hunting and trying to get some meat. He's coming. And Jacob is right in his pathway. And you can smell the gumbo. You can smell the jambalaya. It's the wrong thing to preach about during lunchtime, but here we go. He can smell. Esau's coming. He can smell some good food, and he's starving. So he rolls up to Jacob. He's like, Jacob, I smell what you're cooking, bro, and it smells really good. How about you hook a brother up because I'm literally about to die. I'm starving. So Jacob looks at him and says, say less, fam. I got you a bowl right here. However, this is just like something a younger brother would do. However, I will give you this bowl in exchange for your birthright. That don't even make sense. It don't even equate because the birthright was essentially what, what you would have um, to become the judicial ruler over your family when your father passed away. You also would get a double portion of the paternal inheritance. So essentially, when Isaac passed away, Esau would inherit all this stuff. And Jacob is saying to him, I will give you one bowl of stew in exchange for everything that you will get after dad dies. And Esau is so hungry that he makes the irrational decision. Hey, you know what? Fine. I'll switch it out because I'm about to die anyways. And if I die, I ain't going to you know, get the birthright. So, yeah, you can have the birthright. Give me the stoop. Let me just stop and say this. Make sure that you stay filled up because when you're hungry, you make irrational decisions. Oh, Lord. That wasn't even in my notes, y'all. I just felt like somebody needed to hear that. Make sure you stay filled up, because if not, you're going to start trading the promises of God for stuff that's just going to feed you temporarily. 
Okay, let me, let me move on. I'm sorry. Uh, so, so, so Jacob then, this is the first, the first example where Jacob deceives his brother Esau. So Esau goes about his business, so does Jacob. A few years later, Isaac is going up in years, and Isaac begins to um, get closer to death. He can't see as well. And his mother, Rebecca, Jacob's mother, starts scheming again with Jacob. And, he, and she's like, son, I, I don't heard the word of the Lord. He said, you're supposed to be the one that rules over your brother. And so now that your father is up in age, let's deceive him. Here, here's the thing. You got to stop deception. If not, your kids will do the same thing. Uh-oh. So, so she schemes with him and she says, listen, I'm going to make your father's favorite meal. And then we're going to put goat skin on you. And you're going to go in there and you're going to fool Isaac into giving you the blessing instead of Esau. First of all, how bad is your skin? That goat skin gets confused with your skin. You need a dermatologist. <laughs> because, because Jacob goes in there with goat skin, right? He goes up to Isaac. He knows that Isaac can't see very well. He's already blind, uh, but he can listen and hear very well. So, so Jacob goes in and he's like, <clears throat> hey, Dad, I'm here with your favorite stew. <laughs> and Isaac's like, uh, you smell like Jacob. You, you smell like Esau, you feel like Esau, but you don't sound like Esau. And Jacob's like, man, I wish you could do sign language right now, but I can't. So just eat the stew and bless me. So Isaac, he eats the stew and he blesses Jacob. He puts all the blessings in favor that Abraham received from God. And then Isaac received from Abraham. Now I, Isaac is putting it on Jacob and he tells him, now you are blessed. So Jacob now has both the birthright and the blessing, leaving Esau with nothing. Then he goes about his way. Esau comes in to his father and he says, all right, dad, I'm ready for my blessing. And Isaac is so in shock and so dismayed that he cries and he says, Esau, I'm sorry, but I've been deceived by your brother and I've already given away your blessing. And Esau begins to cry out and he's angry and he, and he just, God, give me something, dad. And dad's like, I can't give you anything because the blessing is only reserved for the one that receives it. And your brother has already received it. This then becomes the identity of Jacob. Jacob then now has uh, bought into the identity as placed on. He's now a schemer. He's a deceiver. He's a supplanter. And it comes to the point where uh, Esau says, you know what? When dad dies, I will make it my life's goal to kill you. So Jacob talks to Rebecca, and Rebecca's like, son, it's time for you to go. So she packs up his stuff and says, go to, my, go to my brother's house, and your uncle Laban, and he's in Haran. So Jacob begins to make the journey, about 550 miles. He's making this journey to go to Haran. I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago, but I, I preached a message called, Why in Hell Would You Stop? And if you remember, we talked about Terah, right, the father of Abraham, how he was journeying, right, from the Ur of Chaldees to go to Canaan. But he stopped in Haran. <laughs> and then Abraham continued from Haran to Canaan and was blessed by God. It's amazing to me that Jacob decides when he is ready to run away from the promises of God and the place that God had him, when he starts to run away, he goes back to where? God had brought them from. <laughs> Let me just stop and say this. When you start to dabble and try to accomplish the work of God by yourself, and then you run into trouble, you will always go back away from the promise of God. 
So he's on his way to Haran. And while he's running, he's tired, he's worn out, he's sleepy. He finds a place to rest. He lays down and he goes to sleep. And as he is sleeping, the scripture says that the windows of heaven are opened up. And a stairway comes down from heaven to earth. And angels begin to ascend and descend. And the voice of God standing at the very top of that ladder. He says, Jacob, in spite of the fact that you're a deceiver and a schemer and a supplanter, in spite of the fact that people have written you off, in spite of the fact that you went about it the wrong way, in spite of the fact that you really don't deserve this moment, I just want to let you know that my promise for you is not predicated on how perfect you are, but my promise for you, it lasts for generation. So Jacob, this is what I want you to know. The same promise that I gave to Abraham and and Isaac, your father, I'm now giving to you. Wherever you go, I'm going to give it to you. If you go to the east, it's yours. If you go to the west, it's yours. If you go north, it's yours. If you go south, it's yours. I'm going to bless you so much that in you, all the families of the earth, every single person who is blessed can trace it back to you. And Jacob, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to accomplish it uh, with you. I'm going to accomplish it for you. And here's the thing, Jacob, you don't have to do a thing. I'm the one that's going to do it. And it's one of the most phenomenal promises given to a human. And Jacob was dead asleep. (laughs) When Jacob wakes up having this dream, you would think that Jacob would have built an altar right then and said, you know what? I don't care what Esau got planned. I just heard the voice of God. I'm going back right now. I'm going to claim what's mine. I'm going to walk in the authority of the spirit. I'm going to walk in the authority of what God gave me. But instead, he was so tired and so sleepy, he confused the promise with just a dream. So he gets up, and instead of building an altar, which signifies a covenant that he made with God, he builds a monument to a missed moment. When you're tired, you will confuse the promises of God with just dreams for the future. (laughs) Because right then, Jacob's life could have been changed. It could have been rearranged. But instead, he was sleeping through what God had for him. He missed the open heavens. Why? Because he was a sleepy saint. So then he leaves that moment. And he goes to his uncle Laban's house. And this is where there's a plot twist. Because now the deceiver is being deceived. Jacob rolls up and he sees a hottie but wadi. Rachel. He's like, man, she's fine. What I gotta do to get her? And Laban's like, yo, just work for me seven years. Just work for me seven years. And, and Jacob's like, man, she is so fine. Uh, it's a yes for me. So he works seven years. It's the wedding day. And he, yes, sir. We about to get this on. And, and he, he knows that the consummation of the wedding is coming. Y'all know what consummation is, right? So he's ready. She comes walking down. I got a veil on. And remember, in the Bible, they didn't have electricity. So dark is dark. It's pitch black. By the time he and, and Leah do their thing, he wakes up the next morning. He's rolling over expecting to see Rachel. And instead, he's like, my God, who are you? You look just like your sister. Wait, you are the sister. <laughs> Leah is laying in his bed and he gets so upset. How, first of all, how ugly do you have to be <laughs> to work another seven years for the right one? <laughs> So he works another seven years, and he gets Rachel, and he gets deceived, 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 and then he works another seven years, even after the 14 years for Rachel, all the while getting deceived until finally Jacob said, enough is enough. He finally wakes up. 
He finally has a jolt in his spirit that says, you know what? God gave me a promise 20 years ago, and now it's time for me to go back and get what God said he had for me. Oh, I'm about to preach now. Because Jacob had to get to the point, just like the prodigal did, where he had to come to himself. He had to finally wake up. Jacob had been asleep for 20 years. He'd been sleeping on the promises of God for 20 years. He'd been sleeping on what God said he wanted to do for 20 years. He had monuments built to missed moments. He had a monument uh, built saying, man, if I just realized that God, God was there. You were asleep. God was there. So he gets up from where he's at. Now he's fully awake and he's going back home with, with, a, with a pep in his step and with a mission. He says, even if my brother kills me, I'm going back because now I'm awake. And then we find him at a place called the Brook of Jabbok. And when he gets there, he's at a crossroads because his brother is coming with an enemy to destroy him from the front. And Laban is coming with his enemy from behind. He doesn't know what to do. So you know what he does? He tells, takes his family and all his possessions. He goes, y'all go on ahead because I'm I'm going to stay awake and I'm going to do whatever is necessary for my life to be changed. And in that moment, when he wakes up, the scripture says there appeared a man and began to wrestle with him. This is a theophany. This is God in fleshly form begins to wrestle with Jacob. And God says to Jacob, hey, let me go just like you let go of the promise 20 years ago. Hey, won't you, won't you release me? Because I know you've been playing games with me and you've been asleep for the last 20 years. Hey, let me go. I'm giving you the option to go back to sleep. But Jacob said, I will not rest until I have prevailed with God. If it kills me, I'm going to stay awake until I get the blessings that God said are for me. And the scripture says that Jacob wrestled with God until the breaking of the day. All night long, he wrestled with God. And God finally said, you know what? Now you're fully awake. Now you finally come to your senses. Now you're ready to get this inheritance. Now you're ready to see the open doors. Now you're ready to see the stairway. Now you're about to be the person that I called you to be. So he asked the question of Jacob, Jacob, who are you? And Jacob has to confront who he's been all of his life. So Jacob says to him, God, I am Jacob. I am a supplanter. I am a deceiver. I am a schemer. I'm a heel grabber. And God says, no longer are you going to be called Jacob because today you woke up and you wrestled with me and you wrestled with me to the breaking of the day. And the scripture says, God told Jacob, no longer will you be Jacob, but from now on you will be Israel. Why? Because you wrestled with God and you've prevailed. I'm here to preach and tell somebody you've been sleeping on the promises of God and God's calling you to wake up because the windows of heaven are open and the doors are open that no man can shut. How many of us in this place have been sleeping coming to church but dead asleep? Reading the Bible but dead asleep. The problem with Sardis is they didn't think they were asleep. They thought they were alive but Jesus said, hey listen you're going to miss me coming because really you're daydreaming you are sleeping and the word dead here in Revelation doesn't mean void of life, it means dying. So Jesus is telling the church at Sardis, listen I got promises for you, I got gifts for you, I've got an open door for you but you're dead asleep. So the question for us today is, what's got you sleepy? What has you tired? What has you awake but not really? Have you ever watched a movie 
and it seems like you blink, but you know you missed something. Is that anybody? Like, that happens to me. It used to not happen, but now I don't know if it's three kids, but I will go blank for like 20 minutes. I thought I was awake, but I'm like, I totally missed something important in this movie because I fell asleep. I thought I was awake, but I fell asleep. In the movie of your life, when God, ooh, in the movie of your life, when God is giving you the greatest scene in the movie, are you asleep and missing it? Because I believe God's calling us to wake up and smell the coffee. Get out of bed. Roll out of your comfort zone and say, God, I'm here to wrestle with you. If it takes putting my hip out of place, if people are going to talk about me, if people say I walk funny, if people say you're never going to amount to anything, I got the promise of God on my life. And when God opens the door, nothing is able to shut it. Not a person, not a demon, nothing is able to shut it. So again, I ask you the question, what has got you sleepy? Because if you go back and you look at Sardis, the church at Sardis, when Jesus addressed them, it wasn't just a spiritual address. Because if you look at the history of Sardis, Sardis claimed to be an impenetrable place. It was built on cliffs that were very difficult to scale. And the watchmen on the wall would make sure the enemies never got there. But around 246, 247 BC, Cyrus II laid siege on Sardis. And it is told in history that the watchmen on the wall of Sardis fell asleep. And when they fell asleep, the enemies scaled the wall, came into the city, and they laid siege to the city. Supposing that they were impenetrable. But when they went to sleep, the enemy crept in. So the question that we have today is, is the enemy laying siege to your life? Is the enemy rocking your world? Is he robbing you of promise that God made for you? Is he deceiving you? Because you're asleep, God's calling us to wake up. Wake up from your slumber. Wake up from your sleep. It's not time to play church, church. It's not time to go through the motions. It's time to wake up. If you notice, we named this series Upset the Church. (laughs) Because over the last four weeks, we've allowed the scriptures to rock our world and upset us. You have to do some internal work. You have to be honest and say, who am I? Who have I become? Imagine Jacob having to confront the fact with God in front of him that he'd been sleeping. I'm Jacob. I am. I've become what they said I was going to be. I know you gave me promises, but... I felt like they were too much for a person like me. So I've been sleeping. Have you been sleeping? Maybe it's a ministry that God's called you to, but you don't feel like you're worthy of it. So you went to sleep. Maybe it's uh, forgiveness that God has called you to, but it's uncomfortable, so you went to sleep. You know, they say that when you're dying, the first thing that happens is you get tired. 
You ever watch those movies, the dramatic moment? The guy's laying there, he's been shot. He says, I'm just so tired. It's the first stage to death. So the question for us today is, will you wake up or will you go to sleep? Because one thing's for sure, there's an affection fervent door that's laid before you that's been opened by God, and it's for you. You just got to stay awake and walk through. Don't let your sleepiness and tiredness rob you of the promises of God. Don't try to do this on your own. You can't do it. You'll work for stuff that you didn't even want. You'll do things that don't even satisfy your soul. But when you wake up, you say, God, I'm putting the hustle culture aside. I'm putting self-obsession aside. And I just want to be awake in your presence, God. Just open up the windows of heaven and let me see that stairway. You would close your eyes and bow your heads. The question that I have today for you is, how many of us have monuments built to moments? (laughs) If I just would have married that person, if I just would have said yes to that job, if I just would have moved when I had the opportunity, if I just would have applied for that ministry position, if I, if, 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 and God is saying, let's get rid of the ifs and wake up because what I have for you is better than you can even imagine. So if you're in this place or you're watching online and you're like, man, I've been, <laughs> I've been tired. I've been asleep. I've been sleepy. I want you to slip your hand up right now. Wherever you are in this building, slip your hand up. Man, I'm, I've been tired. I've been, I've been sleepy, man. I've been, the promises of God, man, I feel like you've been slipping me by. Just raise that hand as high as you can. Wherever you are, just raise it because I want to pray for you. Lord, you see these hands that are raised in this room and all over the place. Your saints, your people who have grown weary because of the journey, because of circumstances in their life, maybe sleepy. Maybe they've been asleep. I pray right now that you would wake us up. Wake us up to realize that the windows of heaven that are open for us are not for some future day, but they're for right now. Help us to rest in your promises without falling asleep to your word. Help us to receive what you have for us so that we can accomplish your work and not waste time in toil. I thank you right now for an inundation of faith. I thank you for hope that's reawakened. I thank you for a fresh fire, a fresh wind to take us into your presence. We give your name all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the adoration because you're worthy of it in Jesus' name. And somebody shout amen. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text Embassy City, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.